Amen. You can find your copy of God's Word and turn with me to John chapter 14. And I'll be reading a section of John 14 in just a moment. I want the church to know that, uh, and especially individuals, and you know who they are, that to support what I do, I am very, very grateful uh, to be able to do what I do, to take the gospel around the world, uh, multiple countries. Uh, in fact, we have a team that's leaving Thursday afternoon for Fiji. Yes, I know. Somebody has to do it. <laughs> but there are several from our church, and I want them to stand. Marjorie, where is, is Nancy in here? Nancy, my bride's going with me. Marianne. And then, would you stand for your mom, Misty? She's going with us. Mackenzie, would you stand for her? That, oh, that's the little sister there. It looks like your mom. Wow. But uh, this is who's from our uh, community. Also, Danny uh, Walden from... Go ahead, please. We're going to pray for you, so I want you to stay standing up. And then uh, some folks from Fort Worth and then from four other states around the country are going to converge and... Los Angeles sometime Thursday evening and then make our way to Fiji the next day. So I want you to just, as a church, just take your hand, reach out to one of these that's close to you, and we're going to pray for them. And we're just going to say thank you, God, for the opportunity that we live in a nation that is still free, that gives us opportunity to travel the world and tell people about Jesus. And we're still a nation to this day that at... at uh, even this hour, in many places around the world, still respected, which gives us platform audience for those who want to hear what we say. And we go not to represent the United States of America, but the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And we get to share a gospel that is just simply amazing. The free pardon of sin through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thank you for this mission-minded church who loves us, who supports us, who finances us, who makes this possible. And we pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. Use us as you see fit. Take us to that place that you've designated the work for us safely and bring us back to those in whom we love and love us. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 15. Begin reading with verse 15. John chapter 14, verse 15. John 14, verse 15. I'll say it several times so we can all get on the same seat of music. 14, verse 15. You know, when you do this every Sunday, you get pretty good at it, but if it's every once in a while, you're rusty. John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me. Who's saying this? Jesus. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, 
whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you a little while longer, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You will live also. At that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things that I said to you. Peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you love me, you would rejoice because I said, I'm going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I've told you, before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love the Father as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. Thank you, God, for the reading of your word. Thank you that it is powerful, that it is sharper than a two-edged sword, that it's able to discern even the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And do that today by your Holy Spirit that we may be different as a result of encountering you and your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to ask you a question this morning. <clears throat> if someone were to come to you and ask you, why should I obey God? How would you answer that? Why is it important to obey God? I, I can remember as a boy that when I had done something wrong, something that I wasn't supposed to do, I wasn't eager to return home to face my father. I would try to avoid my dad at all costs. My dad was one of those kind of guys that believed in canoeology. You know, paddle from behind and you'll go straight. So fear of punishment can be a motivation to obey. But as I grew older, I didn't want to disrespect my dad. I respected him. Sometimes I would not do things or go to some places because I didn't want to drag my dad's and my family's name through the mud. So reverence or respect can be a motivation to obey. 
And as I become a young man, my motivation to listen to my dad and do what he said came not because I was afraid of punishment, not because I respected him, but because it was going to be beneficial for me. You see, I, I realized that as a young man, my dad had been a little further down the road than I had. He had suffered some consequences from his own poor choices and had shared those with me. And so I realized because he was older than me that he had some good advice to share. In other words, my dad was wiser than I. So occasionally, I stress occasionally, I would do what he said, even though sometimes it didn't make sense and it really wasn't what I really wanted to do. But because I knew my dad was wise, I would do it anyway. So there is personal benefit to obedience. I, I wanted things to go well. I wanted to be blessed. I, I wanted the fruits of making good choices. So I would go to my dad for advice and I would do what he says. Even gratitude can, can motivate us to obey, can it? Think about what Jesus has done for us. He chose you. He convicted you of sin. He sanctified you. He set you apart. He gave you access into his presence. He sealed you with the Holy Spirit. And the Bible teaches us that what he starts, he will finish. And John 14, the beginning of it, says he's gone to prepare a place for you and me. Isn't that good? And when that place is prepared and when time is set for in the Father's plan, He will what? He will return and receive you unto Himself and take you where He is. Jesus died for your sin. He died to take your place. He took your sin upon Himself. He took the death that you and I deserve. We're not saved by any good works that we have done, but by His perfect work through his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. He has an excellent plan for your life. He's promised to provide us with everything that's needed to do everything that's on his heart. I mean, he is a wonderful God, and Jesus is a perfect Savior, and I am eternally grateful, and gratitude is a wonderful motivator for obedience. Why obey him? I'm thankful what he's done for me there's an element of truth in each of these motivations to obey we we know the lord disciplines those in whom he loves right that's what hebrews 12 verses 5 6 7 and following say that if he loves you he'll rebuke you he'll chasten you he will even scourge you if necessary because the lord disciplines those in whom he loves that's a motivation to obey, isn't it? <laughs> for the purpose of, and Hebrews 11 goes on to say, what the purpose of his discipline is for your spiritual growth. That you may benefit from it, that you may become more Christ-like. And the scripture says that if we're not disciplined by the Lord, then we're not his children. All of these are wonderful motivations to obey. But I, I want to share with you one that you may not have thought of that's repeated in the verse of Scripture, not only the bill read a while ago, but what I read in John 14. And I want us to look at our focal passage this morning, how Jesus connects love to
to obedience. He mentions it five times in the verses that I read. Notice with me, verse 15, he says, If you love me, what does he say? Keep my commandments. Look again in verse 21. He says, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. You see that? Again in verse 23, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will what? He will keep my word. Verse 24, he who does not love me does not keep my words. He says it in a negative way. And then he uses himself as an example in verse 31 when he says, but that the world may know that I love the Father. How did the world, how did Jesus demonstrate that he loved the Father? Whatever the Father told me to do, I did it. I obeyed. So do you see the connection between love and obedience? All right, I'm going to give you the entire sermon in a sentence. That way, if you don't want to listen to the rest of it or take a nap, you can. You ready? Those who know him will love him, and those who love him will obey him. In fact, you can put it in a triangle on a piece of paper. Just put the words, no, no. Love and obey and draw a triangle that connects all three. And as best as I can understand it, that I've studied the Word of God about this subject to this point, they are all interrelated. If you know Him, you will love Him. And if you love Him, you'll obey Him. I think you can even turn it backwards. You'll obey Him if you love Him, and you'll love him if you know him. You see how that works? Now let me show it to you in a single verse. In verse 21 of our focal passage this morning. Look at it. He who has my commandments and keeps them. It is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father. And I will love him. And then what does it say? I will make myself known. I will manifest myself to him. You see that circle there? He's going to make himself known to you because you've obeyed him, and you're going to obey him because you've loved him. And if you love him, you'll obey him. And if you obey him, then you'll know him. See how that works? He'll make himself known to you. And as he makes himself known to you, guess what happens? you increase in your love for Him. And as you increase in your love for Him, then you'll increase the level of your obedience. So, think about your own life and your walk with the Lord. If you're struggling this morning with an issue of obedience, something you should be doing that you're not, something that you're doing that you shouldn't, Trying harder is not the answer. Here's the answer. Run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. He's made it possible that in your sin you can still have audience with Him. 
and as he manifests himself to you, your love will increase for him. And as your love increases for him, your desire to obey him will increase. And as you obey him, the blessings of God will manifest themselves in your life. This is the key. We don't have an obedience problem. We've got a love problem. Endeavoring to do better will not work. It'll only wear you out and in many cases make a legalist out of you. Being fearful of the consequences may bring temporary compliance, but it does not bring a change of heart. Even gratitude for the things that God has done for you will only take you so far. But when you love someone, you'll do whatever it takes. Whenever you love someone, it's not a burden to do what they ask you to do. It's your joy to obey. Think about the husband-wife relationship. And guys, I better hear an amen after the statement, okay? Do you consider it a burden to provide anything for your wife that's humanly possible? No. Of course not. Why? Because you love her. Amen? The Bible is a love story. You know that? From cover to cover. It's the greatest love story that's ever been told. The story begins with God creating the heavens and the earth and a beautiful garden. And in the garden, He creates a man and places him there. How did God know that when He created Adam, that Adam would one day have a bride? How did He know that? Because God created Adam in His own image. Follow with me. Beyond the story of the garden is the story behind the story. God became a man. Entered into the world He created, marred by sin, to secure what? A bride for Himself. God so loved the world that He gave. Did He do it willingly? Did He do it joyfully? Absolutely. Why? Because He loves you. There's nothing God would not do through His Son to secure an eternal bride for Himself because of His love. Love is the greatest motivation for obedience. Love is always demonstrated for God demonstrated His love towards us. When? When we... Got all perfect for him? No. God demonstrated his love for us when we tried harder to do better? No. God demonstrated his love for us while we're still sinners. Christ died for you. Think about it this way with me for a minute. Have you ever thought about the fact that God would rather condescend from heaven to earth, take off his robe of glory and put on flesh, suffer and die a cruel death. He would rather do that than spend eternity without you. That's love. 
Didn't Jesus say, the reason I did what my father told me to do is because I love my father? And then God loves you, that he was willing to do what he did to secure a bride for himself. He who knew no sin, what? Became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You see, love willingly sacrifices self for the good of another. Love does the unthinkable and joyfully endures even suffering if it's needed to meet the need of the one in whom you love. Again, to, to know him is to love him. To love him is to obey him. If you love me, Jesus said, you will keep my commandments. So if we have an obedience problem this morning, we don't need to try harder. We need to love more. And if you need to love more, then you need to know him better. Press into relationship. And as he reveals himself to you, you will love him all the more. And all the more you love him, the more willing you will be to obey him. Jesus, of course, is our ultimate example in all things. Hebrews 12, 2 says, looking to Jesus. In other words, he's our example. It says he is the author and perfecter of our faith. Now listen to this statement. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you hear that? He endured our shame. He endured the cross for us. He despised the shame. Why? Because of the joy of what? Of having an eternal relationship with you was on his heart. We love God because he first loved us. And when we have been captivated by his love, loving him in return is not a burden. Our love for God is expressed in loyal obedience to his commands. Again, think of it this way. Let's say you fall in love with a woman. I know none of y'all are young guys are thinking about that. But let's just pretend that there's this woman that just captivates your heart. And, and you get to know her a little bit and you just you, you finally pop the question and she says yes. And then she follows up with this statement. She says, I love you, and I'll marry you, but I have a few other guy friends that I've known for a while, from, and from time to time, even, even though we're married, I want to spend the weekend with them every once in a while. How's that marriage going to go? Not too good. But let me, let me meddle a little bit, Okay. Do we ever treat God that way? I love God, I would say, with my lips. But how long has it been? Days, weeks, months, since you've gone out on a date with Jesus? Just spent time alone with him. You kept your mouth shut and listened to what he had to say.
You know, he wrote a massive book that says from cover to cover, I love you. You'll never find another lover like Jesus. But when's the last time you spent any length of time alone with him? I love God, but I have other more important things to do. Really? Like what? Video games? Television? Oh, I love God enough. I'll set aside an hour or two once a week and, and, and I'll give him that much time. But really? If, if that's all you gave your spouse, you think your marriage is going to last very long? Thank God that our relationship with him is not dependent on how much I love him, amen? But how much he loves me. But we ought to respond to him. I mean, come on, ladies. If your man is willing to sacrificially love you and demonstrate it every day, what would you not do for him? I love God, but you fill in the blank. You know, my career, making money, my hobby, the next shiny new thing, whatever. You fill in the blank. In chapter 21 of John, <clears throat> Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? Why was Jesus asking him that question? Peter, do you love me? Here in this passage of Scripture in John 13, 14, 15, and 16, we, we call this the upper room discourse because this is the night before Jesus was to be betrayed. The next day he was going to hang on the cross. He's trying to prepare his closest intimate friends, his followers, for what's about to happen. The God of the universe who created everything, who took on flesh, actually took off his outer robe, took a a pail of water and a towel and he washed the nasty feet of his disciples. He came to Peter and Peter said, you don't need to wash my feet. I need to be washing your feet. And Jesus said, if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part in me. What did Peter say? Oh, my head, my shoulders, my, my whole body. I'm all in now. And Peter made a statement. He said, I'd go death for you. Jesus said, oh, really? Before the rooster crows in the morning, you will deny me three times. And he denied him three times. And each time, he got a little more ambivalent about responding that he didn't know him. To finally, he even... He even boldly cursed out loud. I don't even know the man. And then the scene, if you read through the Gospels, you realize that there was a point in time after Jesus was unjustly tried that there was a point in time when the eyes of Jesus and the eyes of Peter met. And I can only imagine how it broke his heart.
And yet after the resurrection, Jesus appears to his disciples and to Peter. And they're sitting around a campfire and they're eating some fish. And Jesus walks over to Peter and he asks him that question the first time. Do you love me? What does he say? He gives him a command. Take care of my sheep then. A few minutes later, do you love me? Well, you, you know that I love you. Well, then, then take care of my sheep. What, what is Jesus doing? He, he, he is saying, okay, take the, remember my love for you. What I've accomplished on your behalf in the midst of your sin, even in the midst of you denying that you even had a relationship with me, I have forgiven you. And now I'm putting you back in a position of usefulness for my kingdom purposes. I love you that much. Do you love me, Peter? Well, if we were to fast forward the rest of Peter's story, did he demonstrate that he loved Jesus? Absolutely. I mean, the very reason that they were hiding out after Jesus' death behind closed doors is because they're afraid what's going to happen, what happened to Jesus is going to happen to them. But after the resurrection, after they saw the resurrected Christ, and then the ascending to the Father and the sending back, John 14, and the sending back of the Holy Spirit, what, how did Peter respond then? He went right back the next day after he preached this awesome sermon, after receiving the Holy Spirit, and thousands of people came to Christ, he went right back to the temple to the very people that had Jesus unjustly tried and crucified. The very group of people that he had denied Christ in front of just a few days prior. Amazing. Why was Peter willing now to obey the Lord? Because the Lord had revealed himself to Peter. He knew him. He demonstrated his love for him. Now Peter is demonstrating his love for God because Jesus had revealed to him who he is and the result was obedience. You see how that works? You know him. You love him. You love him. You obey him. If you obey him, it demonstrates your love for him. And if you love him, he's going to reveal himself to you. And it goes on and on and on. Love in the scripture is not a squishy you know, emotion. It's not the butterflies in the stomach that we sometimes get when we're around a person that we're attracted to. No, love in scripture is an act of the will. It is a choice. And choice is not deprived by the one you love, but enablement and empowered. Love empowers you to obey. And obedience is not burdensome to someone you love. So keeping Jesus' commandments then becomes the proof of our love in response to the one who first loved us. Friend, if you have a concept that salvation is about having your sin forgiven, uh, live like the devil and go to heaven when you die, then you have an unbiblical view of salvation. 
When Jesus spoke about salvation, he said things like this in John 17, 3. He said, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So Jesus, when he speaks about salvation, he speaks of it as a relationship with God. Yes, Jesus died for your sin. Why? So that you could have a relationship with God. He removed the barrier. God sent his son into the world to take a bride for himself and to take that bride back to his father. Salvation is not turning over a new leaf and trying to live a better life so that it'll be a little easier for you. No, no, no. You have a heart problem. I have a heart problem. The scripture says the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know it? Jeremiah 17, 9. Our problem is not to try harder to be obedient better. No, we need a heart transplant. The transformation in scripture that salvation describes is so radical that when Jesus talked to a gentleman by the name of Nicodemus, he said, you can't even see the kingdom of heaven unless you're born again. Paul describes it in 2 Corinthians. He talks about if any man be in Christ, he's what? A new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21, that there will be those who stand before him on that day of judgment. And they're going to go through this long laundry list of all the things they've done in Jesus' name. And Jesus says, I declare to them, depart from me, for I never knew you. You hear the word know again? To know him is to love him. To love him is to obey him. Five times in 16 verses in John 14, Jesus connects loving him with obeying him. This is John's repeated theme over and over. If you were to take 20 minutes this afternoon and you were to read the little epistle of 1 John, you would find that 23 times in that little letter, Jesus connects love of God to keeping his commandments. John chapter 2 verse 5 it says but first John chapter 2 verse 5 it says but whoever keeps his word in him truly the love of God is perfected and by this we know that we are in him so as the love of God as your love for him grows out of a relationship with him your obedience to him increases and in fact in your walk with the Lord there are things that that you don't even realize yet that you're doing that he doesn't want you to do, but you don't know that they, you don't want him to do it until you grow in your relationship with God. And there, there are plans that God has for your life that you haven't spent enough time in his presence to discern what those things are. So as you know him, as you spend time with him, he will reveal his will for your life. And out of that love relationship with him, you will obey him. He says, if you keep my commandments. Have you thought about what, what commandments is he talking about? Is he talking about the Ten Commandments? 
Is he talking about the 600 and so commandments of the Old Testament? You know, is it, what commandments is he talking about? And I think this is important to understand. Let me give you, this is Jesus talking, right? If you love me, you keep my commandments. Did Jesus ever command his followers to do anything? Let me give you a couple to think about for application purposes. Matthew 6.33. What did Jesus say? This is a command. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things that you're worried about. They'll be added to you. Okay? Is that a command? Yes, it is. That's one of Jesus' commands. Okay? If you obey that command, in fact, you're going to have to have a pretty deep relationship with him before you're going to be willing to obey that command. Seek first. Think about that. All the things that you're worried about, all the things that consume your thinking, your effort, your time, your energy, above everything else in your life, he says, I'm commanding you, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Wow. That's one of his commands. How are you going to be able to obey that command? It's not by trying harder. <laughs> but it's by falling deeper in love with Jesus. Because if you love him, you'll obey him. And if you obey him, he'll reveal himself to you. And the cycle continues on and on. Let me give you one more. Matthew seven thirteen. Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate. Is that a command? Yes, it is. He goes on to say, for this gate is, the, the, the gate is wide and the way is easy that lead to destruction. And there are many people who are on it. But Jesus' command was enter by the narrow gate. <laughs> when Jesus came after the Baptism of John the Baptist, he, he came pre preaching what? What was his first word? It was a command. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I'm here. I'm it. Repent. Change the way you think about God. That's what repentance means. You're not God, I am. There's only one way of salvation. You're not it. I'm it. I am that narrow gate. I am that narrow way. Change your mind about that. And when you change your mind about who's the Lord of your life, it will change the way you live. Now don't think that repentance is something that you've got to work up. Okay? Scripture's quite clear. Repentance is not a work. Placing your faith in Jesus is not a work. Both of those are a gift from God. 
If he didn't grant you repentance, you couldn't repent. If he didn't give you faith, you couldn't believe. So don't brag about your repentance. Don't brag about your faith that you're a little better than the guy who you passed on the street this morning who's watching TV and drinking beer instead of coming to church, okay? Don't think of yourself better. Because he did it. Repent. Change the way you think about him. You need his help. You need his salvation. And as you turn to him, and that's my prayer for you this morning, turn to him. Know him. It's not just about getting your sin forgiven and going to heaven when you die. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. But Jesus talked about salvation again as a relationship. Now, if you any man being Christ, now you're a new creation. And the sin issue that you've been dealing with, trying harder is not the answer. Spending time with Jesus, falling in love with him, so he can enable you to lovingly obey him is the answer. Go to Jesus. So whether you're here this morning and you need Jesus for the first time, you need to change the way you think about him. He's not a genie in the bottle that I can rub and get three wishes and my life's going to be better. No. And I, you know, oh, I'm going to ask Jesus to come into my heart and forgive all my sin and then I can live however. No, no. You come to him and you give him control of your life. Yes, he'll forgive your sin. Yes, heaven be your home. But relationship with God is what you need. And relationship with God that builds a loving trust in him is the only thing that will captivate your heart to the point that you're willing and able to obey Jesus' commandments. If you know him, you'll love him. And if you love him, you'll obey him. And obedience is the proof of your love. And loving him is proof that you know him. Do you know Jesus today? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Spend a few moments just asking the Lord. Imagine him just like on the day that he approached Peter on the seashore. And he asked him the question, do you love me? He's here. I think he's asking you the question. Do you love me? Only you and him can answer that question. If you're tired of trying harder and you're ready to fall in love, then give your life to Jesus. How do you do that? Well, the Bible says very clearly in John chapter 1, verse 12, to as many as receive him, to all who believe in his name, he gives them the power, the right to become the children of God. There has to have been a time in your life when you acknowledge that you're a sinner and Jesus is the only Savior. That you 
invite him to come and be the Lord of your life. To receive him as Savior and Lord and to believe that he died on the cross for you. If you don't know that for sure, and you don't have the testimony of your life of growing in love and obedience to God, if that's not your testimony, then something's not right. And I'd encourage you, today's the day to give your life to Christ. Scripture says very clearly that if you're ashamed of me in front of men, I, I, I won't I'll be ashamed of you in front of my father. You have to be willing to confess him publicly. Guys, if you love your wife, you're not ashamed to tell her and to tell her publicly. Ladies, if you love your husband, you're not ashamed to say so and to say it publicly. The same with Jesus. We don't have to be afraid or ashamed of him. That's why we give a public invitation. Jesus didn't die privately. He died publicly. Don't be ashamed of it. Give him your life and heart today. If that's you, I encourage you. Just as you stand, everyone stand. And as you stand, if you're ready to do that, you just come meet me right here at the altar. We'll pray together. If you're serious and you want to give Christ your life, today's the day to do it. If you're struggling with the sin issue, I want to encourage you today that there is a way to have victory. And it's not trying harder. It's falling in love with Jesus. How do you fall in love with Jesus? Well, you spend more time with Him. And if that's your issue, as we sing this song of invitation, you come, respond to God. If you just need to come and kneel and pray and say, God, I need your help. I'm struggling. This is the right opportunity to do it. We have a few moments to do that. So you come as the Lord leads this morning.